listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. We are on our third week of our sermon series called He Had to Go There. And the first week of this series was about the physical places that Jesus had to go. He, he had to come here. We know that. He had he, Emmanuel, God with us. He had to come here. We know that he had to go to the cross. He had to go to the grave. He had to descend into Hades. And after his resurrection, we know that he had to ascend to the Father. He had to go there. And last week, we began to dive into the statements and quotes that Jesus had to make, things he had to talk about. He had to go there. Last week, we looked at that bold claim that we cannot ignore, that Jesus said he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. We looked at that. And today, we're going to continue with things Jesus had to say. One visit to my office And it is very clear to see that I am a Celtics fan. I have, since I was a child, loved the Boston Celtics. I've never lived there. I've lived in Florida my whole life. And people often wonder, how did this happen? Well, I had three older brothers, and they were all Celtics fans. So I didn't have a choice. But I am a Celtics fan. You walk in my office, you can see it, uh, complete with Larry Bird autographed jerseys. I have both home and away. That means I have the white jersey and the green jersey signed by Larry Bird. I have a a lithograph, a limited edition lithograph signed by Larry Bird, number 324 out of 600 that were ever printed. That's it, only 600. I have number 324. But it's not just limited to Bird. It's it's the Celtics in general. I have a a team ball signed by the 93-94 entire team, including the coaching staff. And I even have a game ball that is signed by former head coach Doc Rivers, in my office. I have that. In my office, when you walk in, it kind of resembles a Celtic shrine. Not a Celtic shrine, but a Celtic shrine. I mean, it just, it does. You walk in, I'm a little embarrassed sometimes. People walk in, I'm like, I promise you I don't worship Larry Bird. I promise you, I don't. But it could look like it because you walk in and all this memorabilia is there. But as much as I admire the play of Larry Bird, and I did, man, I loved, I used to love to watch him play. As much as I admire him, I am determined that I don't want to meet the guy. Like, I, I know this. I do not want to meet Larry Bird. Because have you ever met someone that you admired only to meet them and it ruins your image of them? That's what I'm afraid of. Because let's just face it. Bird, is, he's a matter of fact. He's no nonsense. He's borderline rude. That's who he is. And it would ruin it for me. And so, you know, sometimes they tell you, don't, you don't want to meet your heroes. Well, that's one of them I don't want to meet. I just don't think it would be good. Well, with all of that said, today, I possibly could change the way that you feel about Jesus because of something that he said to a woman one time. And um, I just need to, to warn you that some of you, for the first time, you're going to see a side of Christ that you've never seen before. And you've got to stay. You can't leave. You've got to hear me out because it could skew the way that you look at Jesus for the rest of your life. And so you've got to hear it out, Um, but I'm warning you in advance, if you want to keep your polished image of Jesus wrapped in love and understanding, then you don't want to read the passage that we are about to read. Because if you like the, you know, the version of Jesus that has come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest, if that's the Jesus you like, um, that's not necessarily what we're reading today, okay? If, If you like this version of God that is a friend that sticks closer than a brother, oh, 
It's not necessarily in the verbiage of, of what we're reading today. Um, if, if you like the Jesus that says, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly, not in today's text. Even the part that says, you know, where Jesus is, peace be still Jesus, that's not the Jesus that we're looking at. I know it ultimately is the Jesus we're looking at, but it doesn't sound like the Jesus that we're looking at today. And so I'm just letting you know, this might mess you up a little bit, but you've been warned. Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28, Matthew 15, verses 21 through 28. Chances are there's probably not a lot highlighted in your Bible on these passages. Some of you have never heard or read these passages before, and it is going to blow your mind. Matthew chapter 15, verse 21. Here we go. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Okay, so we got a good outcome. We know that. We know that. Just from examining this scripture, these scriptures today, we know that, that this is going to end happy, Okay. But there's some disturbing things that were said in that conversation. There, there's some stuff that happened that, that, that we've got to dig deep in order to figure out what was going on in the psyche of Christ in that moment. Have you ever noticed, though, that we just kind of ignore this passage and we just move right on through the Gospels? And it's like that never happened because we don't talk about that. We don't, we don't bring that up. That, that's in our, in our Bible studies. We don't talk about it. Preachers don't like to preach about it. It, it. It's like our love and our appreciation for Jesus causes us to ignore the tough parts, the parts that we can't explain away. And this one's hard to explain away. It, it's like that moment when, when, you, when one of your favorite celebrities, one of your favorite musicians, maybe one of your favorite athletes or even politicians, that they, they make a statement that you just can't defend. Like they said it, it's out there, it's public, but you can't defend it. Like there's nothing you can say to make that right. You, you know, when your political candidate says something dumb, no, it's never happened to you. It's both sides of the aisles, I'm telling you. They'll do it. You give them enough time, they'll, they'll make a dumb statement. So it's like that moment when your political uh, candidate makes that dumb statement or tweets something that they shouldn't and they get their Twitter account taken away. <laughs> you know, you've seen it, right? And, and here's what we do. If that's our candidate, we just look the other way, right? Like we, we're not even going to talk about it. We don't want to, we don't, we can't explain it away. It happened. It's nonsense. And, and we're like, let's just completely ignore it. To acknowledge this passage of scripture would paint a picture of Jesus that, that most of us are not comfortable with. To acknowledge what just happened. I mean, Jesus just called a woman to her face a dog. You got it, right? You heard it. He said it right there. 
To acknowledge that paints the picture of Jesus that we're not comfortable with. Can you imagine if I would have said something like Jesus said? Like if I would have been the one, even in our little community, if I would have said it, TV 20 would have ran it at 6 o'clock today. Newberry pastor calls a Canaanite woman a canine. That's what they would have done, you know, or, or maybe the Gainesville Sun. It, it, it would have been the headline of the Gainesville Sun. DCC pastor is a chauvinistic pig. It would have been there. They would have had a heyday with it. Or probably worse than, than any of that, the citizens of Newberry Facebook forum, <laughs> of which I tend to be a celebrity of. <laughs> you know that if I would have said something like that, they would come alive with keyboard warriors out for my blood. You know this, right? It happens. And you can't defend what is clearly in black and white, or in this case, in red and white, because Jesus said it. Like, these are the words of Christ. Like, this isn't someone making a statement for him, about him. He said it. There's no denying it. It's right there in red. He made the statement. He called the woman a dog to her face. You can't defend that. Let's, let's look at the entire situation. When she first showed up, Jesus completely ignores the woman. Like he doesn't even acknowledge her existence. He, he just keeps on going, keeps on doing, doesn't even acknowledge that she just said something to him. His closest friends, his closest acquaintances want to run her off. They don't like the woman. They don't like that she's crying and following them. And they say, Jesus, just tell her to leave. They don't want her around. Jesus then calls this woman a dog. And oddly enough, she doesn't fight back. She doesn't even try to defend herself. She doesn't look at him and say, how dare you? Nothing. She doesn't even acknowledge that, she, that, that he called her a dog. She just goes with it, and then she begs for crumbs from the table. In other words, she begs for leftovers from the table. I don't know about you, but I don't like leftovers. My wife knows this. About the only thing around our house that I'll eat leftovers is her spaghetti, and that's it. The rest of it, I usually don't want it. This woman begs for it. Like, I know that you came to bless the house of Israel. I know you're here for the Jews. You're the Messiah of the Jews. And he says, it's not right for me to give to the dogs. What is reserved, the blessing that's reserved for the Jewish nation. He says, it's not right. And she says, yeah, but, but even, even the dogs get crumbs from the master's table. Can I just have some leftovers? Can you just knock a little bit of the blessings on the floor for me? Just, is there something left for me? And in order for us to understand this conversation between Jesus and this Canaanite woman, you have to have an understanding of where they were at, where they were standing, the location, the geographical location of where they were at that exact moment. First of all, this woman is a Gentile. She's not a Jew. She wasn't just a Gentile. The scripture tells us she was a Canaanite. Some, some Bibles, some translations tell us that she, she was Syrophoenician. So she was a Syrophoenician Canaanite, a resident of Tyre and Sidon. This was the same region where 850 years earlier, the prophet Elijah visited. She is standing almost in the exact same spot where the prophet Elijah visited, and it was there where he had compassion on a widow that just didn't have much. If you remember the story of Elijah and this widow, 
he wanted something to eat. He wanted some bread. He wanted a cake. He wanted something to eat. And, and she said, well, I just don't have enough. And he said, well, you go make me some bread first. You go and, and bake for me, and, and then you can make for the rest of your family. She obeyed. She did exactly what she was supposed to. And, and, and sure enough, not only did, did, did Elijah have bread, but, but everybody in her household had bread because God kept multiplying the flour. He kept multiplying the oil. And, and, and so God provided for her. And so Elijah had compassion on this widow and, and gave her food and her family food to eat. When her son died, Elijah, out of the passion in his heart, he raised her son from the dead. Like he was dead. And Elijah raises this, this widow's son from the dead. Now surely this Syrophoenician Canaanite woman shows up 850 years later, almost in the exact same spot where this happened. And she shows up and thinks, surely this man of God, this prophet that they call Jesus, maybe, just maybe he'll do the exact same thing for me. If Elijah did it for, for that widow, maybe he'll do the same for me. But we know from the text, that's not how Jesus responded. He didn't have that same love. He didn't have that same compassion. He, he seemed insensitive, unwilling to help heal this woman's daughter. Her, her daughter was, was suffering. She was, she was oppressed by demons. And she wants deliverance for her daughter. And Jesus doesn't seem to care. Now, another interesting fact about this area was that one of the most evil people to walk this planet ever was from this area. You may know her in the Old Testament as Jezebel. Jezebel was, was Sidonian. She was from this same region and she married Ahab that was the king of Israel. Jezebel single-handedly brought down the royal house and eventually the nation of Israel. Through Jezebel... Bell worship, the worshiping a false god, Bell worship was introduced to Israel. She was the driving force behind the murder of many prophets of God. She just had a vendetta out against them, and she was personally responsible for the murder of many prophets of God. She even tried to have Elijah assassinated. She once, this is how bad this woman was, she once had a man killed just so that she could take his property just so that she could have his land. She had a man killed, evil. Eventually, through his prophet, God said that the dogs, this woman was so bad, God said, the dogs are going to eat your flesh for the evil that you have committed. And indeed, upon her death, the dogs ate her flesh. So, pardon Jesus for a moment. Because I think here's what happens. I, you know, he was fully God and fully man. It feels like in this moment, that we see the most human side of Jesus. Because he was raised as a Jew. He knew these people. He knew who the Syrophoenician Canaanite people were. And, and he knew the history there. Jews were taught that these Syrophoenicians were cruel, ruthless people. And in the eyes of a Jew, they were the dogs of society. They wanted nothing to do with them. Now, the English word dog can be expressed by at least two Greek words that we know of. The first one is the Greek word kouan. Kouan was a derogatory term that carried with it an expression of uncleanliness. We see this word used numerous times throughout the New Testament, each case carrying a, a negative connotation. It's never used in a positive light. 
It was common for first century Jews to call Gentiles dogs using this word kuon, kuon, your dog. But Jesus didn't use that word kuon as he spoke to the Syrophoenician Canaanite woman. That's not the word he used. Instead, he uses a similar word, but a little different, called kunieron. Kunieron, which was used more of a term of affection for household pets. You try to do this. Um, <laughs> it was more of a term for, for an affection for household pets. Now, now, some of you in the room, you understand the feeling of, of what it means to love a household pet. I'm not, a, I'm, not, I'm not too big enough, not too man enough to admit to you that I have been touched by a household pet before. I'm, I'm not, I'm not too, too bold, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll admit it. Because if you were driving by our house, which our backyard faces that, that main highway, if you were driving by our house late last year, right after CC, our miniature Dotson died, you saw a grown man in the backyard with tears flooding out of his face. Snot everything. I was bawling as I buried this dog. It was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. I didn't even want the dog to begin with. I told her the kids didn't need a dog. She says they do. They're going to learn to take care of it. Guess who had to take care of it? Guess who the dog loved more than anybody else? Please. Guess who loved the dog more than anyone else? It was me. And I'll tell you, it rocked this old man because Cece was such a part of our family. And it took the birth of Knox, our grandson, to help us move on. Because we loved that mutt. Um, Cece, not Knox. The... <laughs> We love, we love Knox, but he's not, he's not a mutt. Okay, here we go. Let me, let me clarify everything. Sure, it, it's a step above an insult, but you can determine the difference, right? You see it. If, if a woman were to say all men are kuons, all men are dogs, we would know that somewhere along the way she was hurt by a man and she has no respect for them. But if she were to look at her three-year-old son and say, come here, you little canarian." It means, come here, my little puppy. I, she's expressing her affection for the child. Are both dogs? Yes, absolutely. Do both carry the same hurtful sentiment? Of course not. And Jesus, in this moment, he uses the less damaging, more affectionate term, canarion. He could have used the derogatory term, but his intention was not to crush her. His intention was to test her. It should come as no surprise to any of us that sometimes God will often test us. In Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 and 2, it says, After these things, God tested. Somebody say, Tested. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So he is testing his faith, testing Abraham in that moment. When Moses came down off the mountain with the stone tablets of the law in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 20, it says that Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you 
that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. So God was testing them. Uh, King David declared in Psalm 17 and 3, he says, You have tested my thoughts and examined my heart in the night. You have scrutinized me and found nothing wrong. I am determined not to sin in what I say. Then his son Solomon, he wrote something very similar in Proverbs 17 and 3 when he said, Fire tests the purity of silver and gold, but the Lord tests the heart. God tests. He, he, he will test our hearts. 1,000 years later, when we get to the New Testament, the Apostle Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2 and 4, he said, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Even Jesus, when he was feeding 5,000, the Bible says that he tested Philip's faith. In John chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, it says, Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. So when he looked at him and said, Philip, how are we going to feed all these people? He wasn't asking him a question because he didn't know the answer. He was testing him. He, he wanted to know if he had the faith to believe that he was able to multiply and that he was able to be the provider and that he could feed these people. He was testing Philip because he already knew what he was going to do. God will often test those whom he wants to bless. And, and someone has to hear this today because you're about to miss out on what God wants to do for your life because you don't realize the test that you are in right now. Now, I've, I've used this before, but I think it, it begs for me to, to, to share it again. The, the best way for me to describe this is to refer to one of my favorite movies, The Shawshank Redemption, TV version. You don't want to watch the unedited version, but the TV version is my by far the favorite. I hate the unedited version. Okay, good, good. There's this one scene. There's this one scene. And if you know the movie, you, you know the scene I'm talking about, but there's this guy named Tommy Williams, and, and, and he's a fellow inmate at Shawshank, and he approaches Andy Dufain, and, and he asks him for help in getting his high school equivalency diploma. And Andy replies, and, and I love what he says. He says, I don't waste time on losers, Tommy. He looks at this guy that's asking for his help. He says, I don't waste time on losers, Tommy. You dog. You know, I, you, you're not worthy of me helping you. And if you were to watch this one isolated scene, you would probably conclude that Andy is a judgmental jerk. And such a description does not fit the movie's depiction of him. Because if you watch the whole movie, you'll know he's anything but that. Why then does Andy call Tommy a loser? If you continue with the scene, you find that Andy uses the term to test Tommy's resolve. He, he, he wants to, to weigh his desire to complete the task ahead. Like, is, is Tommy willing to put in the work? Is he willing to put in the effort? Andy wants to help, but only if Tommy is truly willing to put in the effort. It is a test. He says this to him. I don't help losers, Tommy, because he's testing him. Understand this about your God. Jesus was not calling this woman a dog to insult her. He was calling her a dog to test her faith in that moment. He was calling her a dog because he was trying to expose her humility to see if she was ready for the blessing that he had reserved for her. It's interesting to me, though, the objects of his statement because they seem to reveal what was really being said. 
Because as we talked about the widow that Elijah helped, and as we talked about Jezebel, there's a couple of things there that stand out that, that, that really play a part in this, this story with Jesus with this Syrophoenician Canaanite woman. It was not a coincidence that Jesus used bread and dogs. Perhaps it was a question within the statement. When he, when he said, you know, I can't help you. You, you know, what, this, this is reserved for the Jews. I'm not going to give what they deserve to the dogs like you. When he said that to her, there were, there were questions laced within that. Some, um, maybe it was something like this. Maybe he was asking, so what kind of Syrophoenician are you? Are you like the humble, desperate widow, or are you like the proud, idol-worshiping Jezebel? All from the same area, which one are you? And this woman, I'm so proud because this woman, she passes the test with flying colors. Like she doesn't miss a beat. How? Because she doesn't get offended by God. Let me tell you, some of you are on the verge of missing out on what God wants to do for your life because you're offended by God. You don't like what God has done in your life. You don't like what God has allowed in your life. You don't like the missed opportunities. You don't like the hand that you've been dealt. And what's happening is that, is that you have become offended in your spirit at God. And understand, this woman, she did not get offended. She refuses to let a harsh word or insult cost her her child's deliverance because her child's deliverance was more important than being offended. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Let me tell you, the Holy Spirit has dropped this in my, in my spirit, and I need, I need to share it really quick. There's some of you that have prodigal children that you're waiting to come home, and the reason why you haven't seen the blessing yet is because you're living offended by, by the church and by God, and, every, and that's what they're hearing come out of your mouth, and they want nothing to do with that God. When you learn to accept the circumstances of life and realize that God's ways are higher than ours, your children, your prodigals are going to start coming home. That's the blessing that's going to follow. But you've got to get over being offended. This woman had every reason to run away and cry, to be offended at God. And we live in this society that is so easily offended. Have you noticed? Everybody wants, it's, 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 it's like everybody just wants to be offended. They're sitting on ready to be offended. And everything that, that everyone does, everyone, everything every, everybody says, it's under a, a magnifying glass, and, and they're, just, they're, they're just scrutinizing everything. Let me tell you something. If you're looking for a reason to be upset, if you wake up every day looking for a reason, you're going to find it. I know, I know Rocky. I'm so much more mature spiritually today than I was 20 years ago. And if you dig deep enough, you're going to find something from my life to be offended at. And that's what they do. Because everybody wants to cancel everybody else. And everybody's living offended. Some people, they find their identity in being the victim. And I just want to say this to somebody today. Stop. Stop being the victim because you being the victim is creating more victims in your home. Your hurt is becoming the identity of your children and your home and your family. Stop. 
This woman had every reason to run away and cry. Her daughter is battling demons. And in that, in that setting, God didn't seem to care. Jesus ignored her at first. Then he called her a dog. Even the disciples were saying, just send her away. Who has time for this woman? But, but, but here's what I love about this. She knew who she was. And more importantly, she knew where she was at. Now, this is important. She knew where she was at. She's not the one out of place in this story. This is where she lived. This was her home. Tyre and Sidon was her region. In other words, let me, let me just say, that, say it like this. God was on her turf. You didn't get it, did you? I mean, just whoo, right over your head. God showed up on her turf. D- despite the fact that Jesus initially ignored her and the disciples said chase her away and that Jesus in his delayed response compared his attention to her with giving the children's bread to the dog she insisted that her child deserved the help she would not let God deny her she she was holding on she had hope that Jesus was going to bring deliverance for her daughter she would not take the time to be offended because the blessing was greater than the offense let me tell you if God shows up on your turf If he steps foot into your situation, don't let offense keep you from getting all that God has promised. You hold on with everything within you. I don't care what God calls you. I don't care what God says or doesn't say. I don't care what kind of circumstance he puts you in. Stop being offended at God and realize he's the only one that can fix it. Put your faith, put your trust in him. He who began a good work in you will see it to completion. You've got to trust that and you can't live offended. And this woman refused to let a few harsh words keep her from her heart's desire. She kept her focus and even responded with a comment that proved her heart. Listen to verse 27. It says, she said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. In other words, I'm not offended by what you said. Maybe, maybe you tried to offend me. Maybe you're testing me this. But, but I'm willing just to have the leftovers, just to have the crumbs. And you see her heart. And I can assure you that Christ saw her heart in that moment. Now, now how? How can a woman uh, uh, come to that, 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 that knowledge, that realization? How can she have that heart in such a harsh setting? How does that happen? Maybe. Maybe. I'm, I'm just dreaming here. This is not scriptural. I'm just telling you. I'm, I'm just imagining this right now, okay? So this is from the book of Rocky. Maybe, maybe she was there just a few chapters earlier to hear Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. The Bible does not say she was there. I'm just saying maybe she was there as he gave what we refer to as, as the Sermon on the Mount, one of the most important uh, uh, speeches that Jesus ever gave. Listen to what he said And maybe, just maybe, she heard these words. In verse 7, Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who receives and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Here, listen to what he says. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? All she did was show up asking. That's it. Didn't get the response that she was hoping for. Certainly not the response that the widow got from Elijah in the same spot. No. 
She didn't get all that, but she did not relent. She didn't let go. And, and here's, here's the promise of all of this for us. God showed up on her turf. Think about this. God came to us. He didn't, he didn't ask us to come to him. God showed up here, becoming one of us. He came to our turf he left his throne to come to us, to be one of us. And if God comes to you, then I can assure you that God has a blessing for you. I'm convinced that, that sometimes God will just go there just to test your response. I know this. I, this is experience speaking. I have been there. I know. I know what it's like for something to go down, for something to happen, for something to be said. And I know what it's like to be offended by God. I know what it's like to not walk in offense when I don't agree with God. I, I know both sides of this. And sometimes God will just go there just to test your response. And how you respond can determine what you receive from God. I'll show you. Jesus Christ paid the price for our salvation. Amen? If you don't respond to that, you don't receive it. But when you respond to it, you get the blessing of that. And so when God shows up on your turf, how you respond to God will determine the blessing that comes with it. How, how you respond to life's mishaps, how you if you're walking offended, I'm telling you, you're going to miss out. Will you allow pride to keep you from his promises or will you just keep pursuing God no matter how bad it hurts, how bad it seems, will you just keep going after God? Amen. All I can do is share some, some personal illustrations from my own life. When I first started off in full-time ministry in 1997, I was young, I was green, I didn't know what I was doing, I didn't deserve to be paid, but somehow God granted me a full-time job at $18,500 a year as a youth pastor. My first two years of youth ministry I made $18,500 a year. Now, during that time, like a month after, or two months after I started in full-time ministry, my wife gave birth to our twins. She was going to work just to put them in preschool. I said, no, we're not, we're not going to have you working just so we can give that money away. You just stay home and stay with them and, 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 and I'll work. And, and that's it. It was a full-time job. I didn't have time to do anything else. Trust me, that pastor was working me. I, $18,500 a year, and I don't know how we did it, except by the grace of God, but Mandy and I survived. We, we made it. We didn't have much, but we, we made it full time. It was no secret to my ministry colleagues that, that I was working for pennies. People knew it. People felt sorry for me. Other youth pastors, friends of mine, they felt sorry for me. Like, I can't believe that you're only getting paid that. When opportunities would come up and present themselves, my ministry friends would tell me about positions, hoping that I would apply for those positions. And, and often I, I, I just didn't because I was determined to stay and grow our youth ministry because God was blessing our youth ministry. We had gone from 12 students to over 80 students on average, and man, God was blessing us. And I, I just thought, no, I just need to stick it out here. It, I'm, I'm going to be blessed here. I know, I know it. I know it. But, but then there was this opportunity that came along that I just couldn't pass up. 
it was just too great. You ever had an opportunity that was too great? I, I just said, God, I, I got to go for this. It was a church in South Florida. It, it was a very uh, growing and thriving church. Everybody wanted to be there. They had the best music. I remember that. Their worship, their, their music was just phenomenal. And I contacted the pastor. And the church was large enough to where he said, you know, um, I'm not really handling this. Why don't you email my administrative assistant and, and she can put your, your resume on file. I didn't have a resume. I had to create a resume. This is funny. I didn't even have an email address. I had to create an email address to send my resume. And I sent my resume and nothing. Didn't hear anything. I called and I, I spoke to the administrative assistant and I said, hey, did you get it? She says, I got it. It's on file. We'll contact you if, if we want to proceed. So, okay, thank you. So now I know they have it and, and they're just taking their time. A few weeks went by and nothing. I called, left a message, no response. I called, left another message, no response. And I knew. I didn't get it. Next thing I know, I heard that they had hired a youth pastor and, and I, I, was, I was overlooked. In that moment, early in my career, I had to make a choice. Do I get offended at God? Because think about the sacrifice now. I mean, this is how we reason, right? God, I agreed to go into full-time ministry. $18,500 a year with a stay-at-home wife, two young children. God, I'm working hard. I deserve this. I could have very easily been offended or, or I could just say, God, I trust you. I don't like it. I feel like it's a missed opportunity. I feel like I was overlooked. I'll, I'll just stay here. It's either, God, why won't you bless me and I'm mad at you, I'm offended, or God, I just trust you. I don't get it. I don't understand it. And this is that part where you can't lean on your own understanding. You just can't. Because our understanding is not his understanding. I can't lean on mine. I chose this direction. Thank God that I did because I could have very easily walked away from ministry. And I'm telling you, I would not be the pastor and standing in this position today had I done that. No doubt. No doubt. The trajectory of my life was about to change. Because just a few months later, I got a phone call. And a friend of mine said, David Nitz is looking for a youth pastor at University Church in Tampa. You should apply. I'll never forget, I met him for this, this unofficial interview. It was like the interview before the interview. I, I know what was happening. Before he brought me, before the, the elders of the church, he wanted to make sure that, that I could at least put sentences together and make sense. I know that. Because he didn't know me. I didn't know him. And we met at an Applebee's in Brandon, Florida. And we sat across the table and, and had this, this unofficial interview. And it changed the tra trajectory of my life. Because he eventually hired me. And that man to this day is a spiritual father in my life. Probably now more than ever since I lost my father. 
I thank God for my friendship with him and his mentorship in my life. I learned things at that church about leadership that, that I would not have been afforded at any other church. He put a lot of trust in me. This man brought me alongside and, and made me his number two. That would have not happened at any other church, I'm convinced. He took this guy that didn't deserve it. I thought I did. And that church, just they, they, they just poured into me. And, and, and I'm telling you, the opportunities that, that that position afforded me changed everything. And what's crazy is that less than 10 years after the denial of that church in South Florida, less than 10 years later, the pastor of that church took another position, a greater position at another church, another opportunity. That church dissipated and is no longer in existence. You don't think God was protecting me? If I would have become offended, lost my faith and my trust in God and just walked away from ministry, if God would have given me what I shouldn't, what I didn't need. There's so many aspects of this that would have changed who I am and what God called me to do. And, and I'm convinced I wouldn't be here today. I would not be standing in this spot today preaching this message to you had it gone any other way. It's almost as if God knew what he was doing with my life. Imagine that. That the creator of the universe knew what was best for my life. Now, this is, this is where it gets tough. Because there's some of you in the room that this year, these past few months, this season of life, it doesn't make sense. It's got you ticked. You're mad, you're angry, you're hurt, you're disappointed. Whatever that looks like. And if you listen to the enemy long enough, you will become offended in your heart, even at a holy God that has plans for your life. And you don't get it. You don't have to get it. You don't have to understand it. All he's asking, he's not asking you to get it. He's not asking you to understand it. All he's asking is for you to trust him. That's it. Just, just trust me. Just trust me. That's all, that's all he wants. I just need you to trust me. I will tell you this, that early on in my ministry, it was those trust moments, the, the, those crossroads, if you will, where I could choose to trust him or choose to be offended, that those things have led me into a greater understanding of my heavenly father and what he has for my life. I, I'm letting you know, I'm a more faith-filled man today because of the things that I've gone through in life. That woman was not offended. In one of the most hurtful circumstances, she was not offended by God. And in response, the Bible says that Jesus, he didn't even go to her. He instantaneously, from the spot where he was standing, delivered her daughter of those demons. You may be far from what you're hoping and praying for. But understand, God's not. He's got it. And there's no need to be offended. There's no need to be angry. 
God needs you to understand that he created you with all of your emotions, everything within you, all of those emotions you have. He's not, he's not offended by your offense. He's not offended by your offense. But he's calling for you right now just to trust him. Because he might have a few leftovers that he's about to knock off the table. Thanks for listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. To learn more about DCC, including our service times and location, visit us at destinycommunitychurch.org.